Hello, everyone. Welcome back to 2020 Psych. I'm one of your hosts, Claire Kay, and I'm joined today by my father. I'll let him introduce himself. Hello, I'm Dr. Hernandez. I'm a double board certified psychiatrist. Thank you guys so much for tuning in this week, and thank you for tuning in our previous weeks going on this journey with us of COVID-19 and everything that has to do with the vaccine. We appreciate you guys tuning in, and we hope that you guys are getting some information each week from us that helps you feel more comfortable with receiving the vaccine and helps you feel more comfortable encouraging your loved ones to get vaccinated. This week, we want to talk about COVID-19, the vaccine, and giving it to kids, whether or not that's okay. Uh, I'm going to ask my dad a few questions on what he's read about it, and yeah, we're going to go from there. So, Dad, have kids been given the vaccine thus far? Do you know? Well, neither of the vaccines that are currently available in the United States have been tested in kids or, or approved for kids. There are currently some trials for children ages 12 and over uh, for both the Pfizer and the Moderna vaccine that are underway. Those, those results are not available as of yet. But we'll share a little more thoughts on, on COVID and kids. Uh, but as of yet, as of now, as of today, there aren't, aren't any vaccines that have been approved for children. And what does the process look like for approving a vaccine for kids? Well, the results will be out shortly, and no one really knows how that's going to go. However, the good news for kids, and as in regards to school reopenings, there's some really good news that studies that have shown that in over a thousand in, in trials of studies of over a thousand kids that were looked at that did uh, test positive for COVID, um, one child died. Of course, a tragedy in and of itself, but one death in over a thousand translates into an excellent prognosis for those children that do get infected by the virus. Do we know uh, what the infection rates are for kids with COVID? Is there any studies on that out of like how many kids have been getting infected? Well, you have to remember that kids have not been going to school. They've been staying at home. So for that reason, it appears that their infection rate has been low. Uh, and again, fortunately, uh, view, very few of them get seriously ill with the virus because it does not have the virus does not have an affinity for the lungs. It apparently does not enter the lungs. That's not to say that some kids haven't been hospitalized and have gotten to the ICU because they have. But again, the prognosis for, for children is, is very good. Kids with underlying or pre-existing conditions, how is that going to work if you if they're supposed to get the vaccine let's say a kid that has like an autoimmune disease something of that nature would they still be given the vaccine if if or are they just not well you're wondering if they're eligible and i think once the studies come out they'll be able to um, shed some light on that the answer to that question i think right now the issue with the kids is whether or not they're going to be allowed to go to school. And what we need to remember is that while the kids may not have serious outcomes with COVID-19, that doesn't mean 
that when they start mingling with one another, that they're going to start spreading it amongst one another. And there aren't any kids or very few that don't have adults that supervise them. So the kids are going to be taking these viruses to those adult parents, caregivers, or whatever. And it's it's going to be the adults that are going to be at risk to getting it from the kids and possibly having serious consequences. So that's, I think, where the new debate's going to go. That it's maybe okay for the kids to go back to school, but those adults that are going to be taking care of them, be it at school, the personnel that surrounds the school, that supportive, the supporting school staff, they're going to be the ones that are going to be at risk to catch something from the kids. And the kids, when they go home, they're going to, there's that, that possibility of them spreading it there. Yeah, it could be potentially dangerous. Kids could become like silent spreaders and even, you know, contribute to spreading like some of the new variants depending because you like you said, um, majority of kids have adults supervising them in their households. Who's to say an ad- one of their adults has one of the COVID variants, the kid takes it to school, intermingles with their peers and suddenly all, all the whole classroom has it so i think that will be that should be looked at in consideration of opening the schools because what do you know when they're going to open the schools well i know that in the state of new york or at least new york city that middle schools have opened and other states have been opening schools gradually so that's a process that's already started and will only continue to uh to move forward as you know the, the rest of the year unfolds so uh, I think those are the questions that we alluded to earlier that need to be debated uh, in regards to the safety of the adults as, as even more so than the kids, probably. I, I, I'm, you know, just sitting here thinking about it even more. It could be potential. I feel like kids could potentially be like the most dangerous potential threats because you know, there's already a whole like anti-vax movement amongst parents with their kids in other vaccines. So let's say the vaccine does get approved for kids. How many parents are going to feel inclined enough to even give it to their kids? I think a lot of that is going to be dependent on what the leadership says. And I think now there's a more consistent uh, message from the federal level that will hopefully uh, translate to the states, the counties, and the cities, uh, the the leaders uh, in those areas will start advocating for the use of the vaccines. Uh, and hopefully, as uh, the public gets educated, they'll be more open to uh, and receptive of the vaccine programs. If I were 12 years old right now, would you feel safe enough to have me get the vaccine? Well, I'd like to wait for the preliminary studies to come out and and for them for the for it to be approved in kids before uh, uh, you received it. Uh, and though I'm encouraged at this point that uh, kids aren't going to have a serious outcome uh, to begin with, so I don't think that's going to be as important as it is for the adult population at this at this time. So I think right now for in. As it pertains to schools opening back up, the biggest, um, the biggest priority is probably going to be vaccinating all the teachers and staff, and probably also like the parents of each kid until 
we can figure out if kids are allowed to get vaccinated, if that's safe for them? Well, I think that's what the real issue is at this point. The teachers definitely need to be protective. And so do all the ancillary staff in the schools, the bus drivers that take them and the the school uh, cafeteria workers that feed them and uh, the teacher's aides, of course, and the security staff that's there. And again, all the supportive staff that goes into a school um, and the parents too. But So I think that uh, those are the, everyone that's in the scope uh, is going to be having to get the vaccine as well. Have you read anything or, yeah, have you read anything about kids 12 and younger getting uh, COVID and how that's how that's affected them at all? Like, I, I'd be curious to know, like, how if a three-year-old baby has contracted COVID and, like, what happened to them? Kids of all age groups uh, have tested positive for COVID and have developed symptoms. So there isn't any age group, even newborns, that are spared. Everybody can can and has been infected. So age is not a barrier to uh, to becoming infected with COVID-19. I should have asked this for our COVID-19 and pregnancy podcast, but if a pregnant woman gets COVID, does that mean the baby has COVID too? Not necessarily. Um, that hasn't that hasn't always panned out. Some kids are are born COVID free. And what can you what have you read about the Johnson and Johnson vaccine? Because I've seen that it's only sixty six percent effective, but the FDA approved it. Should people be concerned? Should they feel comfortable receiving it? What do you think? Well, it's sixty six percent effective in preventing serious illness and 100% effective in preventing death. So that's what you have to include. And it's a bit of a different type of a virus like the Moderna and the Pfizer because it's not a genetic vaccine like Pfizer and Moderna are. The, the J&J vaccine is made from a an adenovirus and adenoviruses commonly cause respiratory illness and that virus has been modified to mimic the SARS virus or the COVID-19 virus so that the body can develop a, an immune response to COVID-19 and it's a stable virus the, the 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 vaccine is so it doesn't spread in the body so it's a different theory or technique uh, or strategy in dealing with the with with the, the COVID-19 virus. So again, it's not a genetic vaccine like Pfizer and Moderna are. Does, is it one dose or is it two doses? And uh, in terms of like storage, is it, does it have to be in, stored in as cold temperatures as the Moderna? Well, it's more of a, of a stable virus in the sense that it does not require the very low uh, ultra low temperatures that Pfizer and Moderna do, so it's it's going to be an easier vaccine to deliver, and this is going to be probably something that's used in third world countries that don't have the the refrigeration that's necessary to keep the other ones in super cold uh, temperatures. So you said sixty six percent effective to preventing serious illness, a hundred percent effective in preventing death. 
in terms of the Pfizer and the Moderna, those are also 100% effective in preventing death? No, those are 94 and 95% effective in preventing death. You got to like your odds, but still, it's not 100%. So then is that just like what you broke down about like the Johnson and Johnson vaccine, just the way they made their vaccine that they were able to achieve that, but you can still probably have some pretty terrible symptoms if you get COVID. How does that, uh, I, I guess, how does that work? Well, that's just the studies. That's what they're showing that if you have the J&J, you got a 100% chance of not dying if you get COVID-19. Whereas with the Pfizer and Moderna, it's, uh, I believe it's, 94% with the Moderna with the, the Moderna and 95% with the Pfizer that, that that it won't kill you. And you know, again you still have to like your odds, but it's not 100%. Okay, so they approved it. Do you uh when are they going to have they already started distributing it in the United States or cuz I know they did trials in Africa. But have they brought it to the states or are they not doing that? Well, it's been FDA approved, so it's 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 probably getting distributed as we speak. And then another thing I wanted to touch on was first, Biden said that every U.S. adult would have access to the vaccine by July. Now he's saying by May. What is that? I think we should clarify what that means because I I think people hear that and they think, oh my gosh, we're gonna have a normal summer, but not that doesn't necessarily mean that we're going to be able to go to concerts and all all that sort of stuff, right? Well, as you know, in some states, crowds are being allowed to, or fans are being allowed back and say to the, the arenas, I know March Madness, uh, the basketball tournament is going to allow fans in, in uh, their arenas. So people are going to be congregating. Uh, there's no stopping that. I don't think that's ever going to go back to the, the isolation that we've had. The question is how safe it is. That's what we really need to ask. And you still need to protect yourself. And just because they're going to allow you to uh, enter uh, an arena with a lot of fans that are going to be screaming their heads off, that doesn't mean that it's a safe practice because a lot of the policies are not driven by experts in public health. These are more political that are uh, points of view than uh, medical ones. So you need to really think this through and be careful. Just because uh, you're allowed to do certain things does not mean that it's a safe thing or a smart thing to do. So we all, everybody needs to educate themselves about how safe this is. But if you think that it's going to be safe to be out in a crowd, you're probably mistaken. And you still need to be cautious, be safe, and assume that everyone that you meet is infected. And hopefully, even if you have vaccine, you won't be that four or five or six percent that are going to still be susceptible to getting the, the illness. And I just want to end the episode on that of, and just reiterating that to please wear your mask, please continue to social distance, keep your bubbles as small as you possibly can. And with that, thank you guys so much for tuning in this week. I hope you have a great day wherever you are, and we'll talk to you next week.